a look at a passage that part of it we read this morning. It's definitely fall. You can feel it in the air, right? Halloween was a bit of a bust. Uh, if you've been out shopping, you already know that Christmas is on the shelves already. Um, and I, as I think about how the transition of seasons and everything that's happening, I just think there is a lingering question in the air, and I'm convinced for those of us who's gathered here this morning, this is the question that is pressing us right now on our minds and on our hearts. And I, I look around the room and I think this is probably common to all of us. All of us are thinking this. What is up with Kanye West? I could just tell, especially ladies in the back. I knew. You came in this morning and you're thinking, what is going on with Kanye West? Just a moment of honesty here. How many people would say this morning, I'm sorry, who is Kanye West? A few people. All right. So the majority of you know who he is. So Who knows who Kanye West is? Okay, more than I thought. Absolutely. What is up with Kanye West? Um, if you know the name at all, and for those of you who don't, I'll fill in a few gaps for you. Kanye West is probably, um, I'm going to say, probably one of the most, if not the most influential voice in hip-hop uh, and uh, pop music in the last 15 years. Whether or not you like him isn't, isn't the point. Uh, he's a musical genius. He is an industry genius. He knows how to play the industry. The guy has made, you know, I don't know how many billions of dollars. Last year, his tax return, he got $65 million back on his taxes. Uh, he is a genius in what he does. His first album in 2000, and, I think 2004, was called College Dropout. And it included a song called Jesus Walks. Very first album. And there was something different about Kanye from the start of, of him in the hip-hop world. He didn't start with uh, what typically we might think of as angry hip-hop music. A lot of the, uh, the hip-hop and rap talks about the injustice of life, and a lot of it carries a fair bit of anger with it. His wasn't necessarily so. In fact, the song Jesus Walks talks about the fact that even though there is corruption in the world, and even though, you know, Police are, are, are not right in how they treat black people. A lot of us, he referred to himself and his, his community, we're making bad choices in what we're doing. But in all of that, Jesus walks with us through, through the choices of life that we make. And so it was a, a very odd song to show up on a pop, hip-hop, rap album. Um, of the nine or ten single albums that he's done, there's been reference to, to God and the sovereignty of God and the grace of God and the direction of God in almost every album. One or two songs here or there. So he has recently, here's what's up with Kanye West recently. He has recently um, declared that he is a uh, committed, converted follower of God now, follower of Jesus Christ. He's committed to Christianity. This is, this is his recent claim. And his most recent album is, anybody know the name of it? Jesus is King is the name of his album. The entire album is a gospel rap album. I'm looking around the room thinking, I'm not sure many of us here would necessarily like the album. I've listened to parts of it. I, I'm not big on rap, rap and hip-hop music. But lyrically, if you just pull the lyrics off the page and you, you weren't connected to either the person or the music, you'd look at it and go, well, that sounds, that sounds right. This, that, that sounds good. And so... It's this big looming question, what's going on with Kanye West? Because he's 15 years in the industry and he is not without controversy. He is not without moments of, 
of arrogance and pride. One of his albums, he actually said on, a, on one of the songs, I am a God. Uh, he was referring to the fact that he has had so much influence on the industry that basically I can do whatever I want and the industry is going to follow me. And so the whole song was dedicated to this idea that I'm a God over this industry. And in the same song, he says, I want to talk to God, but I can't because it's been so long. And so there's been a bit of a journey that Kanye West has been taking for 15 years now. And, and if this person now, who uh, his, his mouth has gotten ahead of him more times than not, a lot of his lyrics are explicit and crude and whatnot. Now, when, when Kanye West says, I'm now a believer, I'm now one of you, we can say, well, Kanye can sit over here. There's lots of room anyway. Um, What's on, what's on your mind? When Kanye West says, I'm now a believer, how many of you are ready to say, perfect, good, excellent, wonderful, that's great, nothing but good news? And not too many. There's a couple that are saying, I'm not buying it. I saw an interview, uh, I was watching a piece of an interview just yesterday. I watched several different interviews, but there was one with uh, James Corden, late night talk show host. And James Corden says to him, what are you going to say, Kanye, to the people who say, I'm not buying it? I, I know this guy too well. I've seen too much of him. This transformation thing, it's a publicity stunt. It's whatever it is, I'm not buying it. This is not a real conversion. And I was, I was struck by his answer because I don't even know if Kanye knew how biblically based his answer was. He says to James Corden, well, would you agree that when you're asleep, you're asleep? And when you're awake, you're awake. And those two states of existence are very different. And, and, and James Corden said, yeah, sleeping is sleeping and awake is awake. And Kanye said, yeah, that's just it. Before you're a believer, you're spiritually asleep. You're spiritually dead. This is my awakening. Now, I don't know if he knew how well he was quoting Scripture, but he was very close to it, right? My answer to this question is, I don't know. I don't know what's up with Kanye West, but I do know that our Bibles can help us a little bit with this. We'll talk a little bit about this and what this might look like. Um, I said to Daryl this week, we were chatting about it, and I said, this is a modern-day Paul story, right? Saul of Tarsus is the one, I mean, if there was anybody who was against the Jesus movement when it first started, Saul was at the top of that list. In fact, he would go to, to his superiors and he would say, let me chase down these Jesus people. I know where some of them have gone. They're, they're hiding in Damascus. I want to go get some and make an example of them. That's how much he was the antithesis and the opposite of the gospel Jesus movement. That's who Paul Saul was. And so it was on his way to go and get some of these ridiculous Jesus followers and persecute them that he met the living Christ himself, was knocked off his feet, was blinded by it, and Jesus' response to him is, Paul, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking against these goads? I've been speaking into your life, Paul. You know this is the truth. Why are you fighting this? And of course, the story goes on to tell us that Paul was converted, but when Paul came to Christianity, when he came to faith in Christ, he had no friends. Nobody who were the Jesus followers were going to trust him. That was Saul. That was the guy. And nobody who was originally his friends now trusted him, saying, what do you mean you're now one of these people whom you were going to persecute? So Saul had nobody. Paul had nobody, and he had nothing but suspicion around him. Acts chapter 9 tells us that everybody was suspicious of Paul. Barnabas comes along and spends a little time with him, and then Barnabas sticks his neck out and is willing to say, hold on a sec, I spent some time with him, I think this is legit. I think this guy's life has been changed. Kanye needs a Barnabas right now. Kanye needs someone to come alongside and say, 
I spent enough time with him that I'm telling you I think this is legit. I have not heard uh, that person speak as of yet. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, um, God, we're told the story of when God intervenes in the life of Peter and Cornelius. Peter, the apostle, uh, as much as we're familiar with, Peter is probably the most outspoken apostle, uh, devout Jew, follower of Christ. Peter's always the one that's got his foot in his mouth before anybody else. He's, he's so committed to Christ that he's sometimes belligerent, gets ahead of himself. Cornelius is a centurion in the Roman army. Um, it would be very much considered by many that it was the Romans who put Jesus to death. So you can't get too much opposite from Peter and Cornelius. And Acts chapter 10 and 11 tells us that Paul speaks into both of the lives of these people to draw these two individuals together. In a dream and a vision, he says to Peter, I don't want you to any longer think of something as unclean that I've declared clean. And the lesson for Peter was the Gentiles, those who are outside of the Jewish faith, you have to start thinking differently about them, Peter. You have to start understanding that if I say my word goes to them as well, you've got to get over that hump. Paul speaks to Cornelius in a dream and says, you need to send somebody to go find the person of Peter. This is the guy that you need to understand the gospel. So God draws these two guys together, and they were not two people who for any other reason should have been brought together. One of my favorite scenes in a movie ever, uh, just I laugh every time I see it, is Night at the Museum. I think it's number two. And uh, I've lost the name of the actor, but the scene is, do not cross this line. Have you seen that scene where he's, he's yelling at Ben Stiller about, you know, don't say this or don't do that. And it, the scene lasts about five minutes long. And every time he says, don't do this, Ben Stiller does the thing he says. And he's getting madder and madder. Do not cross this line. And he says it again, you know. And uh, when I thought of the story of Peter and Cornelius, that's it. It was a line that was not to be crossed. You don't take a devout Jew and connect him with a Roman centurion and expect anything good to come of it. It's exactly what God did. Drew them together to show the power of his gospel. And so that's the story that we're told of them. Uh, in fact, Peter goes to uh, Cornelius' house to uh, teach him the gospel and help him understand the gospel. And then he has to go back to the other disciples. It tells us in, uh, in chapter 11, Peter has to explain himself to the other disciples, the other apostles. Because they come to Peter and say, you went to the house of a non-believer, a non-Jew. You went to a Gentile's house. Peter, what are you doing? I want you to think of that story for a second in the modern day context. It would be like somebody from the church, a leader in the church, a pastor, an elder, somebody in the church, going to the house of somebody that we would look at from the church and say, why did they go there? They should not have gone to that person's house. Do they not know about that person? That's Kanye West. Do you know what he's done and said in the past? And Peter said, I take him the story of the gospel. There's a world of principles for us to learn in the modern day church. The church's uh, suspicions and concerns about interacting with people outside of the faith. The modern day equivalent of a Saul or a Roman centurion. What would they be? Who are those people? If, if I went as the pastor of this church, if I went somewhere and spent time with somebody, who would it be that we as a church, we would say, oh, Pastor Steve, you ought not to have done that. Well, what, what, if I went, what if I went to a, an anti-church pro-choice political rally, just to express to people the love of God, and you found out I was there. What if I went um, to human rights LGBTQ support and said, you know, I think it's wrong that that community has been mistreated not only by the government, 
with lesser rights, but a lot by the church. That's the claim of many in the LGBTQ community that they've been persecuted not only by the government, but the other voice who has persecuted them and pressed down on them and taken away their rights as people is the Christian church. What if I went there to try and reconcile some of that? I mean, where would I have to go as a pastor of a church or one of our elders that you would say, we, we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't do that. Because there's, there's a very real problem that it happens, and we see it right in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 11. We today, the church, tend to compartmentalize, compartmentalize ourselves, and we stay away from certain people groups. Because they're, what? They're not us. They're not believers. They're the opposite of us. They're the things they do, the things they say. Acts chapter 11 tells us what, that when, after Jesus had gone back and the disciples were sharing the faith with one another, they were doing exactly that. They were sharing it with one another, Jews only. They weren't sharing the gospel with the Gentiles because that was them. And they're not us. And Acts chapter 11 says that the very first early disciples kept the gospel contained in their own clan, still believing that the hope of God, the hope found in Jesus Christ, was only meant for them. And I read that and I go, well, this is not a new problem. We do this in the church today. We do this. We tend to hold ourselves in and, and realize that it was always meant to be for everybody. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is under house arrest. He's awaiting trial. He's been accused of, of uh, just civic unrest, basically, and the things that he's doing, and, and they're making up things about him. And he writes the letter to the Philippian church to say uh, thank you to them for partnering with him. Philippi, the church in Philippi was one of the few churches who financially supported Paul as he did what he was doing. So you heard that in the start of the letter, that he was writing to them to thank them. Um, the historical context for that letter is that the gospel has now spread after Stephen himself was stoned and the disciples basically ran and scattered all over the countryside. The gospel has spread, but they have no Bible. You have to get the history and the picture in your mind. At that time, they, they don't have a concise draft of writings that they can all point to. Uh, the the Bible is literally being written at that time. So as you can imagine, as people are sharing the gospel and then, and then they're you know, running from persecution to another place, another town, another locality, and they're sharing the gospel there, they can't go back to a, a centralized text and say, well, here it is. And you look at the church today, we have a central text, and yet there's still so much diversity in the church, right? They didn't have a central text to begin with. So you can only imagine that as the gospel is getting shared in different places and different circumstances, it's not sounding maybe exactly the same over and over, and so that's not surprising. When we read Paul's letters, we find out that the gospel that was taught in this place or that place wasn't really a very accurate gospel. That's kind of the historical context of what's happening. Uh, so there's lots of inconsistencies, there's lots of discrepancies, there's lots of different things happening, but read with me from Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 12, and Paul will give us an idea of the context of exactly what's happening right here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That is, I'm in prison I'm, I'm under house arrest. I'm going to have to go before the courts and explain myself. And instead of complaining about it, I want you to know that this is actually a good thing because it's given me the opportunity to speak the gospel into the places that I never would have had anywhere otherwise. So he says, what's happened to me is actually a good thing. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone, everyone else, that I'm in chains for the sake of the gospel. 
Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, it's true that some preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, meaning those who preach it out of goodwill, do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who preach it out of rivalry, preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can only stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So Paul's talking about this idea that some people are preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. And whether or not he's not actually saying they're preaching a good gospel or a contorted gospel, he's just saying there's some people out there who are preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. They're just trying to make it worse for me. Paul got thrown in prison and he was under house arrest for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the the Sanhedrin, the court told him, stop doing that. And he said, I'm not going to stop doing it. So they got him arrested. And so there were other people who were actually preaching the gospel just to make Paul's situation worse. That was their whole reason for doing it. Now, it's the next sentence that I want us to stop and park on this morning. Take a look at this. Verse 18, Paul says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, what? That Christ gets preached. Paul says, I don't really care what the reason is. I don't care what's motivating people to do it. I don't care what brought them to it. Bottom line for me is, as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is getting declared, that's all that matters. I've heard that before. You've probably heard that text before. You're probably at least familiar with enough that that's not the first time you've ever heard it. But this is the question that raised for me this week. What was so valuable about the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul didn't care why it was happening? Because I, maybe I tend to be this way. I know some of us in the church do sometimes. We don't want to see things happen in the church or even outside the church or anything to do with the gospel unless it's done right. Let's do it right. Let's make sure all the pieces are in place. Let's make sure that the motives are right and the person is right and, and all these. There's so many factors around it. And Paul says, no, actually, you know what? I don't care why some of these guys are doing what they're doing. As long as people are hearing the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read for you a few verses uh, taken mostly out of Romans that state the heart of the gospel. And I just want you to keep your, your eyes and your mind on that question on the screen. What is so valuable about the gospel that Paul doesn't care how or why it gets preached? And as you consider that question, listen to these words. I'm just going to read them because I can't preach them better than Paul wrote them. Listen to the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness from God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, Jew or Gentile. There is no us and them. There is no who's on the in and who's on the out. It's given to all who believe. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The word atonement is used in Scripture to mean that every penalty that is due to us, everything that we owe for every mistake, everything that we can't afford to pay back, 
is covered. That's what atonement meant. It is paid for. There is no longer a debt to be considered. And so the word atonement is used when it talks about the sacrifice of Christ. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he made people right with himself by one faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ completely annihilates, removes, destroys the walls between us and them. Us, the believers, the gatherers, those who are, and them, those who aren't. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, there's no wall between you. There is to be no wall between you. So why is it in the church so often we work so hard at rebuilding walls? Why is it we make it hard for non-believers to connect with us? Yes, you can, but here's all the things you need to correct. Here's all the things you need to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ says there is no wall. It's by faith and believing. Therefore, since we have been made right with God in the sight of our faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. I don't know what maybe might be robbing you right now, this day, this week, from peace in your life. Um, school's not going right. Things at home aren't going right. Career's not going right. It could be a million things, right? But listen, when all of this is done, those of us who are believers have peace with God. Is that, that not maybe our starting point? If I have peace with God, my creator, my redeemer, my restorer, if I can have peace with him, can't I build everything else on that basis? This is the good news of the gospel. Because we have been made right with him, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord's done. Because of our faith, Jesus brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing the glory of God. Now that's nice, that's someday, that's out there, but today I'm burdened with this. Today I'm hurting with that. Today this is heavy, today this is hard. Okay, let's talk about today. We can rejoice too that when we run into problems and trials, we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation, and our hope will not lead to disappointment. Ah, that's powerful. Love those. Let me read it again. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, because we know that they help develop endurance, and endurance develops character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and our hope will not lead us to disappointment. I don't know if you knew it when you woke up this morning, but that's what you came here to hear. That the hope we have in the gospel is not going to lead us to disappointment. When we were utterly hopeless and helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, but some might die for someone who's a decent person. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were still sinners. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. When we were still enemies of God, when I didn't care, before I ever heard the gospel, before I had a picture of life that had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel, when I was in that place, when I was his enemy, that's when he said, I'll die for you. And since we've made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he'll certainly save us from condemnation. For since our relationship with God was restored, the death of his son, we're still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life and then later on in Romans chapter 8, he says this. I'm sure this is familiar to some of you, but I want you to hear this. So can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or we're hungry or we're destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened with death? No. Nope. 
In all these things, victory belongs to us through Christ who loves us. And I have become convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death or life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church said, amen, amen to that. The church said, amen to that. Uh, when I came to faith, I was 12 at summer camp, I was exhilarated. I was pumped. I was excited. I, I, I didn't know I couldn't really put the words to it, but something got reconciled. And I knew it, that something that was drastically broken had been put back together. And it spent the most of my life figuring out what that is. But I tell you, on too many days, I don't carry that same kind of excitement. And I want us today to leave here getting just a taste of that. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation, the gospel is this. Salvation for those who are on a path of self-destruction and who are headed towards separation from God. That's what the gospel is. It's salvation from that. The gospel is hope for those who can't see that tomorrow is going to be any different than today was. That's what the gospel is. It's hope for a better day tomorrow. The gospel is purpose for those who feel like tomorrow is just going to be a repeat. It's just one day after another. I'm not really getting anywhere. I'm not really accomplishing anything. The gospel says, no, there's a purpose for your life that God's got for you. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is freedom from a misguided past. This is, I can't deal with the things in the past, and I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And so it's our highest priority that the gospel will be preached. What's up with Kanye West? I don't know if it's legit. I, I hope it is. I pray that Kanye West has really had an epiphany of, of Jesus Christ revealed to him. And I, I pray that there will be a Barnabas that will come along and will speak on his behalf and will help train him and help him grow in the Lord. I'll be honest with you for a second. There, there's a little part of me, there's that little cynic part of me that says Kanye West knows how to run the system, man. He knows how to make money out of this. And maybe he's just going to pick up some money out of the Christian market. I wish that wasn't there. I, 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 those things go through my mind and I think, what is wrong with you to even think that? I hope that it's legit. But let me ask you something. Let me echo Paul a little bit and ask you this. Does it matter so long as Christ is preached? What, what if Kanye West is using the system to, to make money off another album? <laughs> and I read Paul in Philippians 1 and he says, I don't care about the motives as long as Christ is preached. Let me ask you a different question. Who has a better chance of reaching a million young people who are into hip-hop music, me or Kanye West? He's now going to sell who knows how many albums. Jesus is King is going to sell millions of albums. And for the first time in their life, a whole culture of people who've never had any reason to listen to it before are going to hear the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has a power in and of itself that has nothing to do with the one who delivers it. So I pray that uh, Kanye has made uh, a conversion. I'm going to ask those uh, who are going to help us serve this morning to come on up and ask our worship team to come on back up to the platform to help us get ready for the table. And I will tell you this morning that this, a celebration of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
and, and where our heads should be at, where our hearts should be at, as we partake in the elements that represent his broken body and represent the shedding of his blood, where we ought to be at is really not asking what's up with Kanye. As you come to the table, the question I want you to be asking is, what's up with me? Where am I at? Because here's the deal. We could throw a camera on Kanye and we could watch him tensely for the next few weeks. And we wait for that moment and we'd say, ha! Gotcha! See? A real believer wouldn't have said that. A real believer wouldn't have done that. And I just want to thank you that we have not put that camera on me. And, and maybe as you come to the table, you'll be thankful that that camera's not on you either, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is everything that we need in every facet of our lives. It's hope, it's purpose, it's salvation. It is the center of what we need to be a redeemed people. Let's put our minds there as we come to this table and prepare for this. So I'll have the worship team lead us in a song before we start at the table.